It's time for Branding Business, the only show that brings branding experts and corporate executives together to explore how branding your business can improve both your top-line growth and bottom-line performance. Brought to you by Rikus Baird. And now, here's your host. Welcome to Branding Business with Rikus Baird. I'm Ryan Rikus, and today's show's topic is focused on how a company can get the most value out of its marketing partners. Today's guest is Tim Williams. Tim's the founder of Ignition, and as a recognized thought leader in marketing, he's a frequent speaker and presenter for industry associations, agency networks, universities, and business conferences, both here and abroad. He's the author of the book, Take a Stand for Your Brand, which is ranked by Amazon as one of the top ten books on brand building. In addition to his latest book, Positioning for Professionals, Tim's a frequent contributor to news organizations such as the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, The Economist, and business publications, including Ad Age, Ad Week, and Communication Arts. Before forming Ignition, Tim was president of nationally ranked R&R Partners, who created the What Happens Here Stays Here campaign for Las Vegas. He was also the co-founder of his own firm, Williams & Rockwood, which is now Victor 7. Tim originally launched his career in New York at Ogilvy & Mather. Tim, welcome to Brand New Business. Thank you. Well, um... I've known Tim for about 15 years, and I would consider him one of the most respected authorities on advising marketing firms on how to effectively position themselves, and, but more importantly, how they can become more relevant to their clients and offer more value to their clients. And I know Tim's done a lot of research on the topic of what clients want from their agencies. Tim, maybe you can begin with an overview of the typical complaints that clients have or the desires that clients have uh, of that they'd like to get a, a better relationship with their marketing partners? Sure. This is a uh, per- perennially important question for, uh, for both parties, I think, agencies and clients. And one thing I found useful is to frame this question uh, in terms of uh, value. Um, our, our firm did a, a study that was uh, commissioned by the uh, American Association of Advertising Agencies and also the Association uh, uh, of national advertisers, which is the client community. So a joint study um, trying to understand this question of what, how do clients, how do marketers define value? Um, what are the things that they're looking for in, um, in a relationship? And so the, we, we actually uh, have a, <laughs> about a 70-page report, but I can distill it down into six key things, which the, the first one is the clients are are, and this is not surprising, they're looking for agencies to work to be a little bit more uh, efficient in their work process, to optimize their work process. This, this finding is not surprising uh, because agencies get asked by their clients all the time, can, can, can you be more efficient, could you do this faster, uh, could you involve fewer people because uh, in today's economic times so we're all under the gun um, to, to save money. But this has a little bit different spin to it in the sense that clients uh, believe agencies could use technology uh, more effectively and they could be more effective at uh, things like project management. So they're looking for us to kind of take the inefficiencies out of the system. That's number one. Two, they're looking for agencies to collaborate more internally to produce integrated solutions. Um, It's interesting to me in my line of business to see that virtually every agency on the planet describes themselves as integrated, right? Have you ever met an agency that's not integrated? Everybody says it. But the client view is that 
um, in reality, their experience is that often agencies are don't appear to integrate well. They don't appear to collaborate well internally, and uh, they're looking for 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 agencies to involve more internal functions and in the development of solutions to marketing problems. Third, this won't be surprising, put the best, most experienced talent on my business. I mean, what client doesn't want that? Uh, they, they all want the, um, the, the most senior, talented people um, thinking about their marketing problems. Fourth is, is, um, is kind of um, a, a new theme, I think, in these kinds of studies, and that is uh, we want you to experiment in new channels because we realize that the ones that we have used historically over time don't work the same way they always have. Uh, we used to be able to invest a certain amount of money in a particular medium or in a particular communications program and expect a certain kind of return, and now now we can't. Now that doesn't work the way it used to, so we'd like our agency to, to be a little bit more in test-and-learn mode, which is tough, actually. Um, but something that clients are increasingly expecting, number five, uh, is perennial. We want our firms to provide more proactive thinking, more value-added ideas. Client community gives very high marks to agencies for being responsive, uh, but much lower marks on being proactive. And then uh, six, of course, be more focused on results. So every every firm, every agency likes to think they're focused on results and, and some are more than others. Uh, some are willing to actually put a little skin in the game and uh, and and commit to outcomes uh, very literally, which we could talk about. So, sorry for a very long answer to your question, Ryan. No, it's important. Uh, six real critical components that uh, I think are universally accepted by all firms. I, I remember another topic that you mentioned that you found through research as well is that uh, often clients find that the firm, the marketing firm or partner, uh, doesn't take the time to really understand their business. Maybe you could chat a little bit about that as well. Oh, yeah, so true. And there was a, a, a study done by the research firm Millward Brown um, just recently that asked that, that question, what is the number one thing, when looking for a new agency, uh, what is the number one criteria that is important to you as a deciding factor? And far and away, the answer to that is experience, knowledge of my business and category, my industry, deep knowledge in my industry and category. So it's a, it's a key driver. And, and by the way, this has not always been, I mean, it's always been important, but things like, oh, I'm looking for, for creativity, I'm looking for innovation, I'm problem solving, those kinds of things have typically been at the top of that list. But now... The, the, the key criterion is deep understanding knowledge of my business. So every agency knows that they need to learn a client's business, but what this really, I think the, the implications of this are that, that increasingly agencies kind of have to decide they can't learn everything and know about everything. They have to, they have to be uh, develop and cultivate areas of specialized knowledge because what clients buy, in my view, is not services. They buy expertise. Well, we've experienced a very similar approach, and the expertise in our case would be brand strategy. Um, your comment around deep knowledge of the industry or category, I think, from our experience, is also very critically important as well. But at the same time, 
our experience tells us that you don't necessarily have to come to the table with years and years of deep experience. In fact, we recently have been hired by two firms who hired us because we didn't have deep experience in that category because what they were receiving was very stale and uh, ideas that were, uh, you know, accepted and, and kind of uh, mandatory or, you know, approachable for th that particular category. And they were looking for new thinking beyond it. So. At the same time, I think you can apply your expertise of your skill set and your subject matter expertise to a category, but you still have to take the time to really deeply understand the company, the industry, the category in order to be effective. But that's our point of view. I don't know if sure, you're uh, similar. Sure, that, that, that often happens. I mean, there are, there are those uh, marketing organizations that, that say, you know, we're a health, for example, we're a healthcare organization, and we've worked for the last 20 years. We've worked with healthcare specialists, but we've decided that we want to hire a non-specialist because we want completely fresh, uh, out-of-the-box thinking. Um, I, I do see that happening um, occasionally. At least in my experience, much more the exception than the rule. Um, but it it speaks to that uh, that other key area that, that clients look to agencies for, and that, that is just objective uh, objective thinking, the independent view, because they are so close to their own business. So that's an interesting point. Yeah. From another point of view, in terms of what clients are looking for, are they looking for, do they expect a, a firm to be uh, full service and have everything in-house, or are they looking for and realizing that uh, subject matter expertise is more important? Well, this this actually is uh, a question that's become more and more important just in the last several years because we're in a period now where, um, because largely because of the World Wide Web, we're in the era of specialization. If you look at the average Fortune 1000 company, there was a study done by the Association of National Advertisers recently that, 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 that sought to understand, on average, how many agency relationships does the average Fortune 1000 company have? And the answer is 17 on average. And some much more than that. I mean, companies like Kraft have 70, 70 agency relationships, which is uh, unusual. But uh, to have 17 or 20 is not unusual. And, and so that there, there is no such thing among large marketers. There is no such thing as an agency of record anymore. There used to be. Uh, back in the days of Mad Men, um, there, there was a kind of a single key agency relationship, the one firm that was full service that kind of offered everything, but those were much simpler times before the agency business kind of unbundled itself. But, but now we're in an era where clients are looking for key areas of, uh, as you say, subject matter uh, in areas like strategy, branding, uh, creative development, media, social media, public relations, events, and, and so forth. Well, with the need for professional service firms, agencies, to be perceived to be more of a specialist than a generalist, the importance of a clear positioning strategy is probably even more important, and I'm sure clients are, are looking for that, and, and at least they should be in terms of the firm's ability to defend or define and, and create a, uh, a clear positioning strategy. Any thoughts around that? Yeah, they absolutely are. They absolutely are. There, there is not a single client out there looking for a wide range of experience. I, I like to, you know, call agencies' attention to that fact because when they go out and, and describe themselves as full-service integrated marketing communications firms with a wide range of experience, nobody's nobody wants to buy that. They want it. They're buying experience, 
specific experience in terms of subject matter expertise or, or expertise in a category or market segment or audience or type of brand. I mean, certainly the sophisticated clients are absolutely looking for, for, um, for firms that, that know what they stand for. The only place where the, the so-called full-service generalist concept works is in small markets uh, with smaller organizations. There's still a need for that, for that. You know, if you're a small organization, you might be looking for a, for a so-called full-service relationship. Uh, but eventually, you'll outgrow, uh, the, that organization will outgrow that and, uh, and see the need for more specialist help. Makes sense. Well, Tim, uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your book, Take a Stand for Your Brand, and, and details behind that. Well, I uh, I decided that uh, the 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 most useful thing I could do in in uh, my consulting practice, which is oriented around um, helping agencies do for themselves what they do for their clients, which is uh, develop their own positioning strategy. I decided I needed to package up kind of what I'd learned over the years and and put it in a form that would help professional service firms, professional organizations. Uh, understand what their competencies are, and so that they could decide uh, how they can stand for something instead of trying to stand for everything. So that that was my uh, a- attempt to help spell out a way to think about it in a framework to help brand experts develop their own brand. And so that's the irony of what I do, right? Is that <laughs> that um, everybody everybody uh, benefits from objective uh, an objective viewpoint, and that's um, that's what what the book attempts to do. I wrote a second book called Positioning for, for Professionals, which has the same mission, but I was asked by my publisher to see if I couldn't write it in context where a maybe a law firm or an accounting firm or an architectural firm could read it and uh, apply the same principles. But both books have a similar mission in that sense. Well, and how would you grade today's marketing firms or agencies, whatever, on the idea of you know, practicing what they preach and actually developing an, uh, a clear value proposition and a clear brand for themselves. Yeah, we're we're bad at it as an industry. I, I mean, it's um, it's it's typical of of a lot of different kinds of companies to not do well for themselves what they do for their clients, right? The, but but it's also hard to imagine a, a really good dentist with bad teeth. You know, I mean, most most good dentists take pretty good care of their teeth, and I think most really good agencies. I actually know that it's important for them to have a clear, well-defined brand. But generally speaking, it, I, 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 I'm going to say it's the old 80-20 rule. I'd say uh, at most 20% of our, of our industry has invested the time and effort to, um, to define their brand. And it's, it's, a difficult, it's difficult because it goes against um, human nature in a way. It goes against what we might think of as almost common sense. Um, counterintuitive because it, it's, it's, it's kind of natural to think, well, now let's see, if I, if I just kind of keep my options open, um, <laughs> then I'll have more opportunity, won't I? And, and, it's, and, and it's just not true. I mean, it sounds logical, but, but the opposite is, is true. Um, I liken it to uh, the idea of um, brand boundaries. You know, you have to define, uh, you have to have boundaries for your for your brand in order for it to stand for anything. No, no boundaries, no brand. No sacrifice, no strategy. Uh, companies um, like to think that um, um, having keeping all your options open is, is uh, some kind of a, a strategy. I, I call it the absence of a strategy.
Yeah, we have a saying, the narrower the focus, the stronger the brand. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and completely counterintuitive, right? Because you think, well, wait a minute. Uh, but but uh, you can look at you can look at um, examples outside uh, professional services and see this uh, at work, for, like McDonald's. I mean, huge huge global company, incredible revenues in terms of income, but not nearly as profitable as the mo- the more narrowly focused fast food companies like In and Out Burger, which you know California, I guess, is is headquarters, and you you probably eat a, a lot of In and Out Burgers. They earn three times the profit of McDonald's because they have five things on their menu instead of fifty seven. Porsche uh, has more profitable, way more profitable than General Motors. So I mean, the more focused, the more profitable. Small is is beautiful in that sense. Two great examples, Tim. I'm sure agencies could uh, once again benefit from an objective outside opinion when when doing it because they're they're too close to it so i guess that's why uh the value you can bring to them well it's yeah and i mean whether it's me or anyone else just the idea of having an outside observer there are a lot of um emotional components that enter into this as well in terms of agency leadership and ownership and so forth uh, where you you feel very invested in a particular way of of thinking and and sometimes just having an outside viewpoint is useful and a framework because a lot of agencies as you know um, and and RB included have really effective frameworks for applying brand development and positioning uh, thinking to their clients and so what I'm doing essentially is just turning that. I'm just turning the mirror around and saying, "Okay, now let's look at your brand and let's let's ask these very same questions of your brands." It's difficult for a lot of reasons, and it's very curious to me that that branding experts feel like everything in the world can be branded, like water. You know, covers 75% of the Earth's surface, but it it somehow can be put in a bottle and, and sold for five dollars and and. So we can brand water, but we the, there's one thing that we can't brand, and that's us. That's ourselves. And why why is that? That doesn't make a lot of sense when you stop to think about it. We ought to be able to brand ourselves. We often get asked, why in the world would you limit yourself to just focusing on B two B? Isn't that just leaving a lot of opportunity on the table? And we we say, well, yes, but it's also a clear conscious decision to own a category and territory that's not as crowded and one that we are experts in. And we get hired specifically for that. So, anyway, just an example of yes, we are sacrificing, but that, I think that's the art of brand strategy in the first place. It, it, it is indeed. Um, that's what it means to have a strategy. A strategy is deciding what not to do. I mean, that's what strategy is. So when 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 Rika Spared decides not to do consumer marketing, that then that's a strategy. That's 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 giving your your brand some boundaries because otherwise you don't know what to stand you don't know how to pers- you don't know how to invest your time and energy you don't know how to allocate your resources you don't know what kind of people you should hire you don't know what your website should say i mean leaving things open is the most ineffective way that you could possibly run a company well tim I, another topic i'd like to chat with you about is uh, one i know you're passionate about and that is uh how agencies to professional service firms uh, get paid and how they provide value for their clients and how those two should be more married together. Maybe you can share your point of view on this. Sure. Um, so th- th- this is um, a topic that, that actually is getting a lot of discussion in all professional services, not just our business, but uh, even more so in, in law 
and accounting because increasingly clients are are actually looking at the hourly rate and finally starting to understand that the amount of time someone spends on something doesn't really equal the value. I mean, it, it can in manual work, right, uh, when you're mowing a lawn or digging a ditch, but this is knowledge work. To say that what we do is somehow equal to the time we spend, is it just doesn't compute. I mean, there are all, all sorts of famous examples of incredible value that uh, has been created for clients and marketers that really bears no relationship to the amount of time that it took to develop it. And the reverse is true, obviously, too, that, that sometimes we can spend a lot of time and not really succeed in creating much value should the client pay for that. So what my colleagues and I preach is that we need to uncouple that, un- unhook that false relationship that we've developed over the past, uh, well, 40 years, actually, and instead find more creative ways to think about how we can get paid. It's very uncreative to say, well, we're going to just add up our hours and times it by this rate and send you a bill. I mean, really, we're, we're in the creative services business, and that's as creative as we can be about how we get paid. Everybody else is, applies a lot more creative thinking to that question than we do in professional services. And, and by the way, the rest of the world prices in a completely different way. Your, your iPhone is not priced by the hour. You don't go to a a car lot and say, well, I really like this BMW, but how many hours did it take to build? Those are questions that are just not applied to anything else in a capitalist society except professional services. We feel like it's time to undo it there as well because those two concepts don't relate. You can have a brilliant marketing solution in three seconds or three minutes or three days or three weeks or three months, right? It, it, it just depends. Is there a common method that you would use to determine the value? Is it identify your desired outcome and then just take it from there, if you would? Yeah. It's a very common question that I get is, well, okay, what, what's, the, what's the approach then? I mean, how do you do it? And the answer is there are a million approaches because unlike cost-based compensation, which is you can count it up and put it on a spreadsheet and, and times it by an hourly rate, that's very scientific, a value-based approach by definition is not objective but rather subjective meaning there are many many different ways to do it and some of the most some of the best ones haven't maybe haven't even been thought of yet but generally speaking there are three ways to think about getting paid based on value instead of cost because what the hourly rate is is just a cost it's the agency counting up their costs and saying here's your bill a cost is not a price a cost is only your internal cost of doing it, it has nothing to do with the external value to the buyer which is the client so we say there are three basic ways you can think about pricing based on value. First is a simple fixed price based on perceived value. So this is this is the fixed price, which is how most of the rest of the world prices. Fixed price for your iPhone, fixed price for your HP laser printer, fixed price for your Dell computer, right? So, But it's based on perceived value. How much is the buyer willing to pay? The iPhone was priced this way. Sorry to keep using that as an example, but... It's not based on how much it costs to build. It's based on how much would a consumer be willing to pay. So that's that's version one. Second way is a dynamic price based on outcomes, which is what I think you just referenced, which is saying what are the outcomes we're trying to accomplish with this project or this assignment, and let's attach a value to those outcomes and pay us for achieving a set of outcomes rather than for the amount of time we invest in it. And the third is even less typical or less common, and that is a variable price based on usage. So this is how 
musicians and actors and writers and photographers are paid. So, and ironically, those are the people ad agencies hire and employ. So we already know how this works because that's how we pay the people we hire. This is applying that same thinking to the work we do for our clients to say, rather than just assigning the intellectual property rights to our clients, we would maybe keep the IP rights ourselves and license the use of the work to the client. And there are some interesting experiments going on in that area, but briefly those are three main ways to think about it. Well, Tim, that's a great summary, and I think uh, can give some valuable input to uh, clients who are evaluating how to hire and how to compensate firms that bring them value. Unfortunately, Tim, we're out of time. 30 minutes went really too fast. It so did. I uh, thank you for being a guest on Brand New Business. Any final thoughts or insights to share with listeners? Well, I, I would just say I love all these questions. I think these are the right questions to ask about focus and value. I think agencies undervalue themselves. So they have a bit of a self-confidence problem, and it's time for, for agencies to understand how they create value and, and really get, get paid for it. And at the same time, develop value for the clients, develop a long-term relationship, right? Yep, yep, absolutely. All right, well, great. Hey, if our listeners have any questions for you, what's the best way to, for them to reach you? Ignitiongroup.com. All the contact information is right there, as well as a lot of hundreds, several hundred pages of content, all of which is free. So would invite you to visit ignitiongroup.com. All right, great. Thank you again, Tim. Okay, thank you. Well, that concludes our show for today. This is Ryan Rikus, and you've been listening to another edition of Branding Business with Rikus Baird. Well, that concludes our show for today. This is Ryan Rikus, and you've been listening to another edition of Branding Business with Rikus Baird. If you'd like to listen to past shows or read our blog series, visit brandingbusiness.com. Until our next show, stay focused.